Genesis 2, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and there shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now in this scripture passage in Genesis 2, I especially draw your attention to verse 18. It is the voice of God, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. This man is dear to God. God had a heart for this man. It says that he formed him. He took him. He placed him in a very special place that he had made for him. And he commanded him. And then we read that the Lord God who had made this man, who formed him, who took him and placed him in the garden, and who commanded him. We now read that God saw that he was alone. Alone. Here's a sinless man. Here's a special man. And we first read of loneliness before there was a fall. Before there was sin, we read of the man being alone. So God sees he has a special need. He has no supporter. He has no encourager. He has no helper. He has no one to have fellowship with in a very special and intimate way. And God sees this need in his man. And he says it's not good that the man, that the Adam, should be alone. Alone. This is the first mention of the word alone in the Bible. And we all know what loneliness is. It's not a pleasant thing. It's not a desirable thing. It's not a thing that we would want to experience. We're all glad that we have 
friends and family and a spouse and children or whatever in the congregation, we are not alone. And God sees that Adam is alone. And what does God do? Well, God brings the creatures to him. He brings the beasts and the birds to him. And Adam got to know them. He got to know them very closely. He got to read their nature and discover their nature. And he was able to name them. And he didn't name them Jack and Tommy and, you know, Oscar or whatever. Modern names like that. No, he got a name suitable to their nature. He knew the creatures and was able to name them and he got no names wrong. And whenever he named them, that was the name thereof. But guess what? After knowing all of those creatures, he was still alone. It says there that after God had brought all the beasts to him, he gave them all the names, but for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. He was still alone. Now God is with him. He has God, that's true. He's a human. He's a man. And he needs a fellowship. And so God, what does God do when he is with him? The story is told to us in the chapter. We read it, verse 21. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Not an ordinary sleep. You see, we have to look out for all the first in Genesis. Very important, all the first mentions. This is the first sleep. And it's a deep sleep. And it's a God-induced sleep on the first man. So it's a very special sleep. And he slept. God took one of his ribs. He closed up the flesh thereof instead. So there's a sleep. And there's an, an operation. He opens up the side. And this translation says he took a rib. Now the word rib, which occurs twice in the chapter. Once in the plural. Uh, once in the, in the singular. Took one of his ribs and closed up the side thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken. Now this word it's not certain what is meant by it. Our translators have rib in mind, and that has been a long tradition, and that has been very, very common acceptance of the word. Uh, but this word in particular is translated many ways in our English version. Sometimes it's translated beam. Sometimes it's translated and this is an interesting translation of it. Side. A side. For example, we read about the side of the Ark of the Covenant. You know, this big box for the holy, most holy place. And it talks about at the side of it, at one of the sides of it, we have two sides. So there is an idea here that it wasn't just one bone that the Lord took. It wasn't just so simple as that. It wasn't just so small as that, that he took a, a large part of his side. It was a major operation. 
It was a major work. And the woman was formed out of Adam's side. Or rib or whatever it was here. And he says, my bones. This is now bone of my bones. And of my flesh. So it's not just a bone. There's flesh here. There's sinew here as well. There's tissue here also. And out of all of that, woman is made. This is not minor surgery. This is major. And this is bloodshedding. There's major bloodshedding here. This is the first time when blood was shed. There's no sin. There's no fall. And yet to get this bride, there is the shedding of blood. And in fact, in normal circumstances, there would be instant death with such a procedure. If you lose a sight, you die. We do not suppose that Adam died here. It pictures death. We have the first picture of death. There's no death yet, no sin yet. So we're not going to have death, but we have the nearest to it, a deep sleep and the shedding of blood. And this operation takes place. Picturing death, lying down, deep sleep, he looks like he's dead. And whenever the side's been removed, oh, it's, it's not a nice sight for us. God is doing that. And then there's a presentation. He makes a woman. God presents the woman to Adam. And we have Adam's response recorded for us. Verse 23, the man, the Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. He's rejoicing. He's full of prophecy. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So we have the stages. Note them again. Vitally, first of all, alone. He's alone. That's where it all starts. Then there's a sleep like the sleep of death. Then the side taken. Then a bride formed. Then presented to him. And then he's glorying in her. Delighting in her. And is filled with the spirit of prophecy. This is history. This is fact. But it's all very interesting. And we have to ask, what does it mean? It does mean something you know. There's a reason why it's in the Bible. It's pointing to something you see. Now I know that there are the usual truths that ministers take from it. And rightly so. There are many things here. That we could point out uh, God's cure for Adam. How God knows Adam. How he knows his intense feelings. His deep needs. How God loved him. How God made this wife for him out of his kindness and his immense goodness. His knowledge of his servant. His love for his servant. All of that. And then of course there's marriage. We can say a lot about marriage here. It's all here. One man, one woman, no polygamy, no same-sex marriage. It's, it's anathema to the Bible. All of that is here. And that's a truth that needs to be stressed, especially in this age and in these dark, dark days in which we live. These truths, however, are not the main truths in this. 
There's something far more. The main thing is that it is history that is prophetic. It's pointing to something. It's preparing us for something. God has in mind something more when he does this. Adam, you see, is the prototype. Yes, he is the first man. He's the first, the Adam. But we know that in the fullness of time, there is the eschatological Adam. The last Adam. And that's in God's mind too. That's what this is all about. In the Bible we know as a Christian church, everything is pointing to Christ. Everything is in the Bible to show us the Lord Jesus to come. Now there are two things to keep in mind about this story. God chose to do it this way. To make woman. To bring her to man. Why did God choose this way? Why did he not do it another way? Why did he not do what he did done with Adam? Take, take a woman out of the dust of the ground and form her out of the dust of the ground. After all, he did that with all the, all the female beasts and all the female birds. There was nothing special there. They were just formed the way the males were formed. But he has to do something different here. With Adam and Eve, it was different. There was a time gap between there was a period of loneliness for Adam. And we have to ask, why? Why does God have to do that? So God chose to do it that way. And then, secondly, consider this. God put it in the Bible. I mean, conceivably, he could have done it that way and not be recorded, not told us. And I'm sure there are many things that were done in the Garden of Eden that are told us. But God has told us this. He did it this way out of his own will and he wanted it recorded for the church. So there's something here for us. Something very important and we don't want to miss it. We want to see it. To see more here. To see the second man and his loneliness. And to see the last Adam and what God formed out of his side. So Christ is here. You know that, don't you? This is why this is in the Bible. Uh, and we have to keep that in mind. And keeping that in mind, we turn now to the New Testament and to that portion of God's Word that we read in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 14. Now remember the aloneness of Adam. The aloneness of Adam. It's not the aloneness of a sinner. It's not the aloneness of a fallen man. It is unfallen, sinless Adam that is alone. It is unfallen, sinless Adam that sleeps a deep sleep. It is unfallen, sinless Adam that has his side opened and who receives his spotless bride. There are no sinners when this takes place. 
There's no uncleanness when this takes place. It's a sinless man and a sinless bride that are brought together and the bride has come out of his sight. Christ, our dear Lord, who we are persuaded is the last Adam, he suffered the loneliness before he died. Very striking, and I think Mark is the one who particularly brings this out, though it's discoverable in all four of the Gospels. But Mark emphasizes it. The Lord Jesus Christ, before he died, he was made to feel what alone is all about. He was made like Adam in that respect. And you'll see that this being alone is first predicted by Christ. Mark 14, when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And then verse 27, Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. So the Lord states it here, that all his disciples would be offended. All of you, he says. Every one of you. You're all going to be offended. Because the Bible says, the shepherd's going to be smitten. That's me, the Savior says. I'm going to be smitten. I'm going to die. And you are going to be scattered to the four winds. So he is intimating there from the scriptures. He's going to be on his own. Alone. Alone. The shepherd, mind you, praise the Lord, it's not going to be permanent because he says in verse 28, after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. So it's not going to be permanent. But you know Peter, he sometimes thinks he knows better. He says, To the Lord, verse 29. Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Though there'll be one Lord who'll be with you, there'll be one so that you'll not be alone. You'll not be alone, Lord. Now he says this in his naivety and in his being blinded by the devil and in his folly and not listening to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said to him, that this night, even before the cock crew, you would be denying me three times. So you are going to leave me alone, Peter. But Peter still spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, you see, I'll die with you, Lord. You'll not be alone. You'll not be alone like the first Adam. I'll die with you. You'll not be the only one being put to sleep in death. I'll be there beside you. This Peter states vehemently. And of course all the other apostles there saying the same. Yes Lord, we back Peter up 100%. Not alone. God saw that his man was alone. And it is so. So although the disciples deny this, Christ says it is predicted and it shall be fulfilled. 
And then this being alone, he not only gives the scriptures to show it, he presents a picture of it in Gethsemane. And we read there in verse 32, they came to the place which is named Gethsemane. Uh, he said to his disciples, sit you here, I pray. And then he takes three of them and he goes deeper into the garden, Peter, James and John. He's beginning to be heavy. The sleep of death is beginning to weigh upon him. And then he says to Peter, James and John, you tarry here and watch. And then he goes a little forward on his own. Just on his own. He's presenting a picture here. This is the way it is. Even the inner circle will be leaving him on his own. And so Jesus is alone. It's all pictured there. Father, just you and me. This is a great weight upon me. There are great things that are going to take place between you and me. And we are going to be alone. When it takes place. Just like there was the first Adam and God together alone as the first Adam goes to sleep. And so that's the way it is going to be with the last Adam. This is presented in a picture form and it comes to pass. Because first of all there's Judas. He's the one who begins to leave him alone. He's the one who is the traitor. Judas, he comes along as we read there and he betrays him with a token. Whomsoever I shall kiss. And so he kisses the dear Lord and they take him and bring him away alone. So all the disciples leave him. What does it say there in verse 50? They all forsook him. And fled. Every one of them, just like the Lord said, they've all gone. He's alone. Then Mark does something very interesting. He relates a story no one else tells. Verse 51 There followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. I don't know why he's in this state. He's lately arrayed. Maybe he's been out in the night garments having a wee peek. In Gethsemane, there are all kinds of, you know, speculations here about what's going on. This young man, he's not even named. The, the, the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, words have been multiplied and endless time spent to discuss this story, especially who could it be, and there have been some names that have been produced and of course the most favourite name of all is John Mark himself. It's Mark. He's put in a wee bit of biography here, but he's concealed his identity. Now we don't know. And that's not the point of the story. That's not why he writes it. He doesn't write it you know, to sneak himself in there you know, with a kind of a prey to mention himself. No, this isn't about Mark. And it's not about who it is. It's about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is left totally alone. There's one young man here hanging back. There's one man here who's cast about with a covering around a naked body and he's taken hold of. And what does he do? He, he leaves his garment. He flees away naked. 
Naked, mind you. Here's a man who would rather run away naked than stay with Jesus. And so the, the story is told by Mark to get home to us the utter desertion that Jesus experiences. Imagine a man going home naked, choosing that than to stay with Jesus. There's a lot of shame in this story. That's something there's not in the first story. The man and the woman are not ashamed. There's no shame, even though they are naked. Even though they are naked, there's no shame in the first story. But here's a man here is naked, and this story is full of shame. Full of shame. Because our sins have come into the equation, you see. So the, the Lord was totally alone. In verse 40, there were women looking on afar off. Yeah, the women are there. We know the women were there. But Mark wants to bring in that they were far off, you know. He's alone. This is what Mark is trying to stress to us. Even his Father in heaven does not seem to provide for the loneliness. We read in verse 34, the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which has been interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Alone. And this is the only time that the Lord Jesus does not call his Father, Father. God does not answer for the loneliness. God, his Father, does not fill the gap for him. He's to know what it is to be alone. Now the father could fill that gap in. But this man is going to have to be like the first Adam. There's someone special for him. And the father's not going to take that away from him. So it's like Eden. Now God is there of course. He's not answering for the loneliness. But God is there present. The Bible says God was in Christ, working in Christ, doing something in Christ on his humanity on the cross, doing something in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself in Christ. So God is working at the cross. There's an operation here. There's a procedure going on at the hand of God on his son Jesus Christ. As he's led into the sleep of death. So in the sleep. In the loneliness to which he has been brought. He will be provided with his bride. You. You. This is how he got you. And the father doesn't fill the gap. So he may get you, his people. So he lets his son bleed. He lets his son sleep in the tomb. And the father is there to put him to sleep. Remember how in John's gospel it is said, John takes a slightly different angle, but there the Lord Jesus Christ is quoting the same verse about the shepherd being smitten 
And there, behold, the hour cometh, yea, it's now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Do you see how Jesus emphasizes it? Now, he knows very well the first word alone in the Bible is Genesis chapter 2. He takes that word. He says, you're all going to go, and I'll be left alone. Alone. It wasn't easy. But then he adds, yet I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. The Father's here. Now, Adam's not alone because God is with him. And God is working in him and through him and upon him. And Christ is very certain of that in his own experience. I'm not alone. Yes, I'll be alone of all men. But my Father will continue to work with me. So he's not alone in that respect. There is a divine hand who's going to obtain a bride for him through his own son's death. And so by this means, God provides for the last Adam his spotless bride. And isn't it interesting how John records the event concerning the side of Jesus? Uh, it was a preparation of the Sabbath, you know, before the, the, the Passover Sabbath, and the, the Jews, they're very religious even though they crucify innocent men. They're very religious. And they want the bodies to come down from the cross and not be up there on the Sabbath day. It all has to be hastened. Crucifixion takes very long. You know you could hang and live for days. It has to be all hastened. So get them down from the cross, Pilate, pretty quick. We are religious. We are conscientious. And so they break the, the thieves' legs. But Jesus is dead already. He is in the deep sleep of death. He's dead. And they don't break his legs because not a bone of him shall be broken. We read that one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And something came out. There's blood and water. Like the first man. As the Lord works on his side. And the blood and the water. Whatever coming out and he's Making a bride. And so here is Jesus Christ in the deep sleep of death. And a spear goes into his side. And there's something coming out of his side. Blood and water. And it's that blood and water that has made his people a pure bride for him. Pure bride. That's what come out of his side in his death. A pure bride, a spotless bride, a blood-bought and a blood-washed bride provided by God Almighty in the death of His Son. It's all here. And so John says, I saw that. I want to write it down because the Holy Spirit wants you to know that, that you might believe in Him. Paul, you remember how he said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself. Here's another verb from Genesis. 
been taken and uh, given and presented to, to the Adam. And here's this bride who's been purified by the blood, come out of the side in the blood, and she's going to be presented in a day spotless. Now it takes time to get her all in completion. Thousands of years, two thousand years, and maybe more for all we know. But whenever the bride has been completed, has come from his side, she's going to be presented. And there'll be joy in that day. And there'll be far more than the spirit of prophecy that day when that last Adam speaks with glory about his bride. You know, God didn't just say marriage is a good picture. We'll, we'll have that for my son and his church. No. God says my son's going to have his church. I'm going to have to make something very special to picture that. And that's how marriage has come about. Marriage is the afterthought. And the great reality, the first thing in the mind of God is the Son of God and His church, His bride. Now what does this being alone teach us? Well, it teaches us that He is the one who was alone because, you see, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. The disciples emulate us. That's why he is the alone man. All the sinners have gone astray. If he's going to get his company, he's going to have to die. He's going to have to bleed. He's going to have to suffer. He's going to have to go under the surgical hand of his father in the atonement of the cross. And so there is the reminder here that the shame is ours and the going astray and the departure from God is ours. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. So these scattered disciples reflect us. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. We left him alone. We didn't want to know him. He was despised we didn't esteem him at all. We didn't want to know him. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him an outcast, stricken, smitten of God, of no value. He was wounded for our transgressions, though. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. For all we like sheep have gone astray. So if you are a Christian, you have come to Christ. And why have you come to Christ? Because he has obtained you in his death. That's why. There's no coming to Christ without the power of the cross. There's no coming to Christ. There's no bride. There's no church. There are no believers without the power of the death of Jesus Christ. It is not our faith that makes the death of Christ effectual. It is the death of Christ that gives us the gift of faith and causes us to come to him, to believe on him.
So that's how we are obtained. We have just gone astray. But in his death, he obtained us for himself. Have you faith in Christ? Have you come to Christ? Do you believe in Christ? If you do, thank God for the power of the cross in your life. And if you have not faith in Christ, you need it. And you must come to him. And you must believe on him. And you must trust in him. And you must confess you're a wayward sinner who's lost. And you must ask him to be your shepherd. And find you. And whosoever calls upon the shepherd with such faith. Shall be saved. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And let us all know. This is how he obtained us. And of course we have to be faithful to him. Don't we? You know this bride who was brought to Adam. Oh she turned out to be such a sad spectacle. That Eve. We know the story. But that's not going to befall the church. No the church. Has been bought by mightier blood. And that church is going to be faithful to him to the end. And is going to be so faithful that she will be presented spotless before him in that great day. And all of Eden, all reversed in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to love him and you have to be faithful and you have to remember how he got you. You're not your own. You're bought with blood. Therefore be faithful to him. A faithful bride. To such a faithful saviour. To him be all glory.